Uh, you can grab a Bible and why don't you turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. We are starting uh, a new series um, uh, on the topic of money. Uh, so for the next um, seven weeks, we're going to be diving into what does the Bible say, what does Jesus say, what do the apostles say um, about money. Now, some of you uh, are asking, because you've asked me, why? Why are we spending, uh, literally, uh, uh, you know, I talked about it, and then someone said, seven weeks? Why? Why are we talking about money for seven weeks? Or I've, I've had people come and say, okay, so you're just going to tell us to tithe seven weeks in a row? Is that what this is? Um, someone said, oh, so like Dave Ramsey stuff, right? Financial planning and retirement and saving and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, actually, no, not really like that at all. Um, someone said, kind of tongue-in-cheek, ah, oh, it's because we're behind in the budget, right? Right, because uh, their experience was anytime the church is behind in the budget, the pastor says, time to talk about money. Uh, and I said, no, this series has been planned for quite a while, and actually we're caught up in our budget, so it has nothing to do with that. But why, right? Why, why spend the better part of two months um, talking about money? Really, there's two reasons why. Um, as your pastor, I think it's beneficial that we uh, do this whole series about money. Um, the first is that um, how we handle our money is a discipleship issue. Um, we kind of sometimes view it as like, well, it's just money. It's my paycheck. It's what I do with my money and how I pay my bills and what I do. But really, if we're disciples of Jesus, then all of life is under his authority, right? Um, you've seen me sometimes in years past, I've drawn um, the, the circle and we kind of view Jesus as a slice of the pie and my money's over here and he doesn't really touch that part of my life. When in reality, if you're claiming to be a disciple of Jesus, Jesus is in the center of the circle and he's actually in control of all of the slices of your life, um, including your money. But I think money uh, and sex, but money, uh, I think primarily in the West, is one of the biggest idols that all of us have. And people will defend their idols by saying things like, you shouldn't talk about money. We shouldn't talk about money. That's my, I remember like 20 years old, one of the first sermons I preached, uh, because you're 20 and you're like, I'm going to just really hammer them. It was about money. And uh, I remember uh, right after the service, someone came up to me, long-term church members, faithful followers of Jesus, and their first thing was, how dare you tell me what to do with my money? Right? So it's a discipleship issue, I think, how we use our money. How do we, how do we steward well uh, if we're going to say that we're committed followers of Jesus? So that's one reason. The second reason is I, I honestly think there's just a ton of confusion about what the Bible says about money. Um, there's just a ton of like, what, what actually are we supposed to do? And the reason is, is because we kind of swing to uh, the farthest pendulums, right? Uh, so, uh, and a lot of times you'll hear teaching that is just really not good teaching about money. And they'll take a verse and they'll say, see, the Bible says it. And it's just completely upside down and twisted. Um, many of you know, uh, you know, the prosperity gospel that is just like anathema, cursed, don't believe that. But Bible teachers get up and say, hey, God wants you to be rich. And he wants you to have a new car and a huge house, right? You all know the clip maybe, money cometh to me, right? Anyone know that? 
Kenneth Copeland, he's like, you should be rich. You should live in a mansion. You should drive a fancy car. That's what God wants for you. Or the, the other uh, pastor who said, you know, if Jesus was alive now, he wouldn't be riding on a donkey. He would be flying on a private jet, right? And things like that. And so you go, really? Is that really what the Bible says? Am I supposed to just believe God for a bigger house and a better car and more stuff? Again, years ago, I had a conversation with a guy who, um, he told me, Andrew, uh, if we obey God, then he blesses us financially. And he says, that's what it says in the Old Testament. Like Malachi, right? Bring your tithe to the temple, and God will open the storehouses. And I said to him, do you really want to live under the old covenant? Because you know what it says? If you don't do that, God will curse you. So is God going to, well, no, I mean, no, he won't curse me because of Jesus. And so, but the blessings are all mine. But is that true? Right? Is that true? Or is, does God want us to just be the wealthiest we can be? Now, on the flip side, that's one pendulum. On the flip side, then we have the idea of the poverty gospel, which is an overcorrection. And God is only happy with us if we're poor and if we, if we don't have anything. Um, I had a, a conversation with a young adult uh, years ago who had read the story of the rich young ruler. And then this person said, like, I think we're not allowed to buy anything for ourselves. So if I need new jeans or a new pair of shoes, I can't in good conscience go. Because as followers of Jesus, we're not supposed to have any possessions. And I go, but, but is that true? Is that really what the Bible says what does the bible teach about money are we supposed to tithe 10 percent or not and i was a part of a argument in a church years ago that then is was it 10 percent net or 10 percent gross is it before taxes or after taxes and then we argue about what's the proper way to tithe 10 percent. i think maybe we're missing the point sometimes so here's the goal over the next seven weeks my goal is not to make us all feel bad about money, and then we all give to the church for two weeks, and nothing changes about our lives. Okay, I'm very, I'm aware that sometimes that's what happens, right? We'll hear a convicting thing, we feel guilt and shame, and then we're like, I'm just going to give a little bit more this week so I don't feel so bad. But then our hearts don't actually change. My, my goal is that our hearts would change about how we view our money, and really, what I'm, I want to convince you in the next seven weeks is that the way of Jesus is best. His way is the best. And his, uh, what he says about money is, is the best way to live your life. But you need to hear, it's going to be uncomfortable because I feel like the word is just going to kind of get into the uncomfortable places where we've said, ah, we don't want to talk about that. So this morning, to start things off, Luke 12, verses 13 to 34, um, Jesus tells a parable, and then he makes some application for his disciples. And so really, there's three main points this morning that we can pull from the text, but kind of as the, the base for this whole series is the question, um, well, whose kingdom are you going to serve in all of the, in the weeks to come? That's kind of the guiding question. Whose kingdom do you want to serve? Your kingdom or Jesus' kingdom? So have that in the back of your mind. So the first point uh, is this, and it's verses 13 to 21. What we do with our money is the main issue. So money is actually not the main issue. But what we do with our money, that's the main issue. So verse 13, Luke chapter 12, 
It says this, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? So here's the context, because this question that's asked seems kind of out of place. If you start in verse 1 of Luke 12, you'll know that Jesus has been teaching. It says that there's literally thousands of people who are following him around, listening to him teach. Uh, And these are the things that he's been teaching about. He's taught the crowds, you know, beware of the Pharisees. Don't have any fear. Don't deny God before men. He's taught them, don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 13, someone from the crowd pipes up, seemingly really out of place. Hey, Jesus, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. It's kind of like, that seems out of nowhere. And what does Jesus say? He says, well, who made me the judge between you? Now, why would someone ask a question like that? Um, The man calls Jesus teacher, which is rabbi, And uh, lots of times rabbis would settle civil disputes for people. As they kind of traveled and taught, people would bring exactly these types of scenarios, like legal things, civil things, and rabbis um, would would settle disputes for people. But notice that that Jesus says, like, is that my job? And the answer is no, that's not why Jesus came, to settle people's legal disputes, right? Now, here's, here's a little bit about inheritance, why this is an interesting question. When a father would die, then the estate would be left to the oldest son, and then it was the oldest son's job to manage the estate for the family's benefit. And they could, he, he was in charge of kind of dishing out who gets what or holding on to the estate and kind of managing it. Now, here's what's interesting. Luke doesn't give us any of the details. Is this the older son asking? Is this a younger son asking? Who's the one asking? We don't know any of the details surrounding. Was the oldest son holding out on everything? We don't know. All he says is, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. This is how Jesus answers in verse 15. He says, he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions so there's a hint for us of where this man's question came from notice we've seen it in other times where jesus knows what people's hearts are and so clearly this man was asking out of a place of covetousness i want my inheritance tell my no good brother to give me my money And Jesus says, ah, be on guard because your life doesn't consist of how many possessions you can have. Now, in verse 16, Jesus then is going to tell them a parable to kind of prove his point. So he says this, verse 16, he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Interesting, right? It's it's an interesting parable. 
And so what you have is a guy who has a lot of stuff, and he looks around and he says, I have nowhere to store all my stuff. Here's what I'm going to do. Rather than give my stuff away and help my neighbors, what I'm going to do is tear down my old rotten barns, and I'm going to build huge, massive new ones. Then I'll have room for all of my stuff, and I can just relax and eat and drink and be merry. Notice, who is the man in the parable talking to? He's talking to himself. Was there any indication of like, hey, God... What should I do with my stuff? He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build this, and then I'm going to build this. And then I'll say to me, me, now you can relax. Like he's completely self-obsessed, is he not? Does this not describe to a T the North American dream? Does this not describe the Fort St. John dream Move up here, get a good job, make $200,000 a year, two fifty dollars if you're lucky, buy a house, buy a truck, buy an SUV, buy a boat, buy a holiday trailer, buy a side-by-side, buy a quad, buy a snowmobile. I don't have any place to put all my stuff. I need to build a bigger shop so I can put all my toys in it. I mean, this is us. When I read this parable, I'm like, man... That is, uh, Jesus could land in North America and tell this parable, and we would all go, that's me. Uh, And so Jesus is connecting this parable to the point of your life shouldn't consist in the abundance of your possessions. Your life shouldn't be, okay, now I'm gaining more and more stuff, and I need to build bigger barns to hold all my stuff. But we do this, right? Um, When I started working at a church as an intern, Um, And this is uh, like 17, 18 years ago. My salary as an intern at at, at the church was $500 a month. So $6,000 was my salary that I took home. And there were many a day when uh, I would go to the gas station and I would prepay. Okay, let's see, $25 prepay, insufficient funds. Okay, $10. My my gas tank's almost empty, $10 Oh, approved. Sweet. And I would pay. Now, after one year, the church said, uh, I think you're doing a great job, Andrew. And they said, we're going to double your salary, $12,000 a year. And I remember thinking, what am I going to do with all this money? And what happened? Did I have all of a sudden a huge savings account? No, because immediately it was, you know what? I could buy that now. I could actually maybe, if I work some stuff, I'll get a different car now. And I was in the exact same place. Now, then, a year after that, they said, uh, we actually want you to be the full-time youth pastor, $36,000 a year, triple what I was making. Did I have a huge savings? No. Why? Because the more money I had, immediately it was like, man, I can do so much more with this money now. I can go buy new clothes. I can buy new shoes. And I was in the exact space. Because we do that, don't we? We make more and more money, and it's not like, oh, now I have all this extra money to give away. No, we put ourselves where we're like, I got to buy more stuff, and I got to fill my life up, and I need to build a bigger uh, storage room. Like the fact that in North America, we just have storage facilities. Store all your crap here. Like it's ridiculous. Now, what does God say to this kind of life? Verse 20. But God said to him, hey, good financial management. Nope. God said, fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. 
God looks at the man in the parable, and I believe he looks at us living out the North American dream, and he says, you fools. Um, You want to know, literally, the word in Greek is stupid. Like, I know that offense. God wouldn't say that. Well, he did. He said, idiots. You fools. To that kind of lifestyle. The lifestyle that we all live. God says, you guys are fools. We fill our, I fill my life with money and possessions, and we often say to our own souls, hey, relax, eat, drink, be merry, because we think that possessions will make us happy, and they'll satisfy our souls, and they'll fill a longing that we have, and God says, that's just stupid. Um, Last week on Fridays, my wife and I, all three of our kids are in school, and we have kind of Friday mornings as a date morning, and I said, hey, for fun, let's go look at cars. Uh, we don't need a new car, and we had no intention of buying a new car, but we said, it'd be fun. Let's go look at new cars. Let's go for a test drive in a car that we'll never be able to afford. <laughs> and so we went, and uh, we said, yeah, you know, this is maybe what we're interested in. And, and, uh, and so he brought a, I don't even remember what it was, but it had all the nice, like, ooh, bells and whistles. And my, I'm like, the steering wheel is heated? And when I turn the car off, the seat, like, backs up, so it gives me room to get out of the car. Oh, my goodness, how have I lived without this? And the tailgate closes on its own, and I don't have to manually put the seats down in the back. You just push a button, it's like, yes, master, and it goes down. It's just like, oh, my goodness. And then uh, we went for a test drive, and we got back, and the guy said, hey, do you want me to crunch the numbers for you? I'm like, sure, that sounds great. And uh, he came back, and he said, oh, listen, um, your bi-weekly payment will only be, and it was four times what we pay right now for our vehicle. And I just kind of sat staring at that, and hmm. And he said, what are you thinking? <laughs> and I said, I'm thinking that this is way too ridiculously expensive. And he said, well, can I ask, what your, what's your budget? And I told him, and he said, I kid you not, uh, you can't afford anything at this dealership. And I said, okay, <laughs> see you later, right? And I left. But here's the thing. Right? You get back in your old car, and I'm like, ah, my steering wheel's cold. We do this. Right? And all, like this whole week, it's like, man, that car was nice, though. And it had that thing, and it had that thing, and I just don't like my car anymore. And we do this with possessions, right? We do this. Like, tell me, honestly, have you ever bought something, and then it satisfied you forever? No. I mean, you get your phone, and then the next year, the next iPhone. And that one's made out of metal or different metal. Oh, man, I need that one. And that one's camera is slightly better than the phone I have. And I need that phone. Like, our whole economy is based on the fact that you need more junk. And your truck or your car that works fine, ah, it's not good enough. Does it have this feature, though? And, And Jesus says... He actually warns us, he says, be on guard against filling your life with possessions. Um, Even in the Bible, there's lots of examples. Some of you have read the book of Ecclesiastes, um, and all we're told, his name is the preacher, Kohelet in Hebrew. And many people um, think that it's Solomon, and for good reason, but he never tells us it's Solomon. All he says is, my name's the preacher. And the preacher in Ecclesiastes, he talks about, I, w- I, I went on a mission to find the most amount of pleasure in life. 
And so he talks about in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he says that I went to the best parties. I threw the best parties. I had the best food. I had the best wine. He said, I didn't just build a house. I built houses and gardens and wineries. And I, I just built everything. He says, I had slaves. I had herds. I had flocks. I had singers and musicians who just saying whatever I wanted them to. He says, I have silver, I have gold, I have treasure. Like, here's a guy that we would go, man, that guy has everything. This is what he says. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 10 and 11. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity. That word literally is meaningless and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. And we would go, but are you crazy? Like, you, you had everything. And the preacher says, yeah, and do you know what it was? It was like trying to catch the wind. It was meaningless. Some of us might go, well, that's just a biblical example, right? That's not... <laughs> He wasn't doing it right. Um, John D. Rockefeller, who was an oil tycoon, uh, when he died, he was worth in our day and age uh, $400 billion. Um, this was his dying words. I have made many millions, and they have brought me no happiness. Um, W.H. Vanderbilt, who was a railroad tycoon in our economy day and age, worth $6.6 billion. He said, the care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. John Jacob Astor, who was a real estate mogul worth $2.2 billion, said, I am the most miserable man on earth. Henry Ford, worth $200 billion, said, I was happier doing a mechanic's job. Um, Steve Jobs Right, the founder of Apple, worth $11 billion, his last journal entry, he said, I reached the pinnacle of success in the business world. In others' eyes, my life is an epitome of success. However, aside from work, I have little joy. At this moment, lying on the sickbed and recalling my whole life, I realized that all the recognition and wealth that I took so much pride in have paled and become meaningless in the face of impending death. It's vanity. It's meaningless. Or like Jesus says in Mark 8, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Right, pe people have tried this, guys. They've said, you know what? I think my life will finally be complete if I have X amount of dollars and if I can fill my life with all of these possessions, then I will be happy. And time and time and time and time again throughout history, people have tried it and said, it doesn't work. So why then do you and I continue to believe the lie? Because we do. I do still. I go, well, Rockefeller didn't do it quite right. I bet I could, I bet I could do it better. Or, you know, Steve Jobs, he didn't know what he was talking about, but if I had his kind of money, then I would do better. We, like, we believe the lie, don't we? That our lives will be full and satisfied by how much possessions we have. So here's the first point. Money is not the issue. Let's not, let's not fool ourselves. Th there's, there's nothing wrong with money. Um, God blesses disciples of Jesus with wealth. Absolutely. I know many, many faithful followers of Jesus who are wealthy and who use their wealth in God-honoring, 
Christ-exalting ways. Praise God for them. So money's not the issue. It's not that, oh, once you hit this, this kind of uh, uh, income, that's when it becomes sinful. No, no, no. But what we do with our money, that's the issue. And Jesus is warning us. He says, don't let your life be solely about the abundance of your possessions. Don't be like the fool who says, I just gotta, I gotta make sure I, I build, build a bigger barn to store all my stuff and then I'll be happy and satisfied and my soul will just, ah, be at rest. And God says, that kind of attitude is foolish. It's stupid, is what he says. So then, why do we, why do we live like this? That's kind of been gnawing at my brain all week, actually for several weeks. If we know it's a lie, we go, we know it's a lie. We know it. We know it is from the Bible and from history. We know that, that, that this is a lie. And yet, why do we keep pursuing it? Which leads to point number two. We love money because we actually don't trust God. We love money because we don't trust God. Jesus continues in verse 22. This is in the same teaching. It says this. He said to his disciples, therefore, right? So therefore is in light of this parable, because of what I just told you, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. So Jesus says, in light of those things, here is actually the root issue. Why, why do we build bigger barns and fill our lives with all of these things? Jesus goes on to say, because you actually don't trust that God is going to take care of you and you're anxious about it. He says, don't be anxious about your life, what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat and what you're going to put on your b body and what you're going to drink. He says, you're, you're anxious about that. Well, that's a sign that you don't trust that God's actually going to take care of you. So then he gives an example. Verse 24, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Um, have you seen the ravens at Walmart? It's like, that's a Honda Civic. Oh, no, that's a Raven. They're enormous. And I have one in my neighborhood. I think it's the same one. And he comes and he lands on my garbage can. And then he tries to, like, get in there. And, but I'm like, I'm not going out there. But here's the point about ravens. Ravens are scavengers. They don't get, they don't get up in the morning and go, okay, what's, what's the plan for today? How am I? Okay, I have a, a five-term goal of how I'm going to make sure I have enough food to eat. It's, they just, they're scavengers. They just find food. And in Jesus' example, he says, uh, ravens don't plant fields. They don't go, you know, it's a better idea if we actually plowed our, and planted our own fields. Then we'll always have food. No, they don't do that. And yet, God feeds them. Sure, he feeds them garbage, but he feeds them. And then Jesus' whole point is, look, if God takes care of birds, aren't you more valuable? I mean, he picks raven. Aren't you more valuable than a raven? And we should all go, yeah, I think I am. God feeds them. No raven has ever been anxious about what he's going to eat. God takes care of them. Uh, verse 25, Jesus goes on. He says, which of, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, 
Why are you anxious about the rest? But we do this, don't we? What can I do to add hours to my life? Oh, look, there's a weed called kale growing in the ground. I'll eat that. Like, literally, my, my father-in-law went to his doctor and had, he's almost 70, and he had a checkup and this and that, and talking about his diet, and the doctor said, um, I have a way that we can prolong your life if you would just stop eating bacon. This is a true story. And my father-in-law said, how much time would that give me? And the doctor said, six extra months. And my, my father-in-law said, it's now worth it. Right? But we do that. Like, those are silly examples. But that's like, there's whole industries. How can you prolong your life and make it? And, and really, really, if God is sovereign, none of you can add an hour to your life. It's impossible. Actually, uh, in the Greek translation, when it says add a single hour to his span of life, it can also be translated, uh, can add a, um, a single cubit to his stature. And a cubit is 18 inches. And so what J Jesus is saying is, can any of you, by being anxious and stressing about it, make yourself taller? No! Jesus is like, that's ridiculous for me to go, oh, I'm just so anxious because I want to grow 18 inches. Does it work? No! So Jesus is saying, like, why are you guys stressing out about things that you have no control over? But we do that, man. Like, this is an anxious world that we live in, and we're anxious about everything and where we're going to get our next meal and how we're going to pay this. And we lay awake at night going, how am I going to pay the bills and how am I going to do this? And I'm anxious and I'm anxious. Jesus is like, you might as well try and make yourself taller by being anxious. Don't you trust God is what he's saying. Verse 29, another example. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink, nor be worried. Like he says, like all the flowers in the field, do, do they stress about what they're going to wear? Meaning like what are my petals going to look like and what are my leaves going to look like? No. It's like God takes care of all that. And he says, and even, like, they look better than Solomon. And yet you and I stress about the things that we're going to wear and the things that we're going to eat and the things that we're going to drink. Uh, Jesus says it's actually a faith problem. Right? The lens of our faith is clouded. It's fixed on the wrong things. Verse 30, he says, all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. When, when the word um, nations of the world is used in Scripture, it's often talking about pagans, people who don't love and follow the one true God. So what Jesus is saying is unbelievers stress out about these things. People who don't know Jesus seek after these things. Basically, he's saying you're the... You claim to be followers of Jesus, but the way you're living, you're, you're living as a functional atheist. Yes, I love Jesus, but I'm stressed out that he's not actually in control, and he's not going to take care of me. This is why Jesus says in verse 32, fear not. Isn't that interesting? Why, why would Jesus be telling us not to be afraid? Isn't this about, like, money? He says, fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
It is God's good pleasure to give you the whole kingdom. Right? Jesus says, listen, God knows what you need. And if you seek his kingdom, he'll take care of you. Now, again, here's a verse that is often abused. See, seek his kingdom, and then he'll give you all the stuff. No, what Jesus is saying is if you actually follow me and your mind and your heart is fixed on me, of course I'm going to take care of you. Might be craft dinner, might not be caviar, but I'll take care of you. It might be an old clunker vehicle, not a brand new vehicle, but I'll take care of you. The reason I think that we often pad our lives and we hoard money and we hoard possessions and we stress about our RSPs and we have our nest eggs and we stress about real estate and when the market goes up or down and how much we have to pay is that we actually don't trust God. We don't think that he loves us enough to, to actually take care of us. He doesn't have my best interest in mind. Or even the life that Jesus is describing, that can't be the best possible life. Right? Is this not the garden where Satan said, ah, did God actually say this though? Don't you know he's holding out on you? And we read the words of Jesus and we go, did Jesus actually just say that? Ah, I can't mean that. I think I, I love money because I don't trust that God's actually, is he actually going to take care of me of all my needs? Um, I've shared stories before about my mom and dad, and they did a really good job of um, financially just trusting God. And I remember, I can, I, my dad has several times in his life when uh, there was kind of a decision to be made about, okay, we got to pay this, and yet I'm feeling... Uh, an impression from the Holy Spirit that we're supposed to help this family with that money. And it was kind of like, oh, what am I going to do? Do I trust that God, is this actually from God? Give this money to this person because they need it more than you do. But what about this bill that I have? And there was a few times where my dad and mom, they had four young kids and they said, okay, God, we're going to trust you. This person needs this money more than I do. And then my dad would go to the bank and there would be money in there that he had no idea how it got in there. And he'd go, but, but wait, there shouldn't be money in there. Or literally, there were times when an envelope with cash in it would be in our mailbox that just said, we love you, praying for you. And it was the exact amount that we needed. Right? Seek first the kingdom of God and these things will be added to you. And I think we just don't trust God. We're like, no, I need to just, how can I give money away? I got to take care of myself. So then lastly, the question is, which kingdom are you going to invest in? Jesus says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So here's the result. It is God's pleasure to take care of you. Verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that doesn't fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Like the conclusion for, yes, I have more than I need. Jesus will take care of me. I can trust God. Jesus says, then you know what you can do? You can sell your stuff and give it away. 
And actually, when you do that, what you're doing is you're investing in a kingdom where it actually doesn't fade away. The whole point of the parable is this guy dies and God says to him, what's going to happen to all your treasures? Thieves are going to steal them, they're going to rust and decay, or your family is going to take it over and run it in a way that you don't want. But if you invest in the kingdom of Jesus, you will have money bags that never grow old. You'll have treasure in heaven that moth and rust and dust can't get to. Not, no thief can steal treasure that you've stored up in heaven. And then Jesus says, and the revealing thing is where you put your treasure, that, that indicates where your, where your heart is. So Jesus invites us to invest in his kingdom. Now, again, don't swing the pendulum where you go, well, now I'm not allowed to own anything. That's not what Jesus said. But for most of us, we, we own too much stuff, don't we? Um, I, I know that I could get rid of half of my stuff and not even notice. Uh, I heard this example about from another pastor about which kingdom are you going to invest in. Like imagine if someone came to you and a friend and they said, here's the deal, you can have a million dollars today or you can have a billion dollars in two years. The fool says, I want the million dollars right now. The, the wise person goes, I'm, a, I'm actually going to invest in the future. And now let's say your friend chose the million, your friend is the fool, and they said, I want the million dollars now. Now, if your friend then bragged about all the things, look at all the stuff that I bought with my million dollars, should that bother you? No. You're like, I know what's coming. You made the wrong choice, friend. Are you willing to invest in a, in a, in a kingdom that primarily is in the future? Are you willing to invest in a future rather than the right now? And I'll just tell you, any investment you make in the kingdom of God, any time that you are rich towards God, it will not disappoint you. Um, there have been many times, uh, and my wife and I are trying to get better at it, many times when we have taken this seriously and we've said, okay, we're just going to give money away, we're going to sell stuff and give it away, we're going to buy things for people that need help, and God, I, God has always taken care of us, always. There's never been a time where it's like we were too generous and God didn't take care of us. That has never happened. And yet, I go, uh, I'm still going to just hold on to my stuff, though. So as we now spend the next couple of weeks together talking about money and our attitude towards it, really the underlying question is, whose kingdom are you living for? Are you foolishly building your own kingdom that, if you're honest, will be gone in a few short years? It can't last. Or are you living for a kingdom that will never end? That God the Father is actually, like, he's pleased to give you that kingdom. Right? Isn't that unbelievable? That God's not like, ooh, I'm going to actually, you know, God, he's not stingy. He's pleased to give you the kingdom. So, oh, that we would invest in the right kingdom. So, Father, just thank you for your word. Um, and as a North American, um, 
I'm honest, I just don't like hearing it because um, we have made money and possessions our idol. Um, God, we love being rich and we love having all of the best comforts and we, we love filling our lives up with possessions. Because I think, honestly, we just don't trust you, God. And the way of Jesus just sounds so upside down and counterintuitive. To just really sell our stuff and give our possessions away and God will take care of us. That just seems so backwards from everything in our culture. Because it is. And yet, Jesus, you have said that that is actually the the fullest possible life you can live. So God, I just pray as we um, start on this new series, God, my, <laughs> our goal shouldn't be just to feel bad, make a couple of changes for a few weeks, and then just go right back to the way that the whole world lives. God, I pray that you would change my heart that we would take Jesus' warning seriously to be on guard against covetousness. That, that our life is not about the abundance of our possessions. That we would seek first your kingdom, Jesus. That we would live lives with open hands, realizing none of the stuff that we buy is going to last. It's, flee it's chasing after the wind. So I pray that we would just be generous people who live lives with open hands, not swinging to either pendulum where we go, oh, God wants me to be rich, or on the flip side, well, I must be poor. But no, just to say, you know, I'm going to seek God's kingdom first, and I'm going to allow him to just take care of my needs, whatever that looks like. God, oh, that we would invest in your kingdom, that we would be rich towards you, that we would have a long-range view, God, of eternity with you. Would we store up treasures not here on earth, but in your kingdom? Um, do that work in our hearts, God. Uh, we need your help with this. And so I just pray all of this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.